listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast, and I'm your host, Jess Conley. In most of our episodes, we'll have a guest, a woman who is running on mission right where she's at. We pray this podcast leaves you encouraged and spurred on to go and tell the good news. Hey friends, we've got a treat for you today. It is launch week of You Are the Girl for the Job. And if you have not gotten a copy, if you have not gotten two copies, I'm going to urge you to go right now, grab two copies of the book so you can get all our fun gifts that we're giving people who order two copies. But to celebrate launch week, we are giving you one of my favorite chapters again here, the audio version of the book straight on the podcast. This is chapter 10 called Come Out Big Alice. For any of you who have struggled with fear, this one's for you. Face your fear. Stop hiding, start fighting, and demolish some strongholds. Chapter 10, Come Out Big Alice. When I get together with my college roommates, there's one story we can't help but tell, retell, and laugh over every time we see each other. One night during a beach trip, my friend Stephanie took the stairs instead of the elevator because she had a pretty extreme elevator phobia. We knew this about her. We lived in a dorm where she always took the stairs, but for this night, for whatever reason, I was kind of harping on and on about it. I started telling the friends who had stayed with me how I couldn't think of anything I was truly scared of, except I was dead wrong because I'm actually just scared of everything. To be funny, Stephanie and the other gals had raced up the stairs and were waiting at the elevator on our floor, and they really gently said, boo, when the doors opened. You can imagine the hilarity that ensued when the gal who was so aggressively declaring she wasn't scared of anything lost her mind. I screamed, yelled, ran down the hall crying, and banged on our hotel door for someone to let me in because I was so scared. In general, I am a person who knows fear. I have loved order, structure, and knowing what is next since birth. And some of my strongest childhood memories are not joy and wonder, but fear. Not because I had a horrific childhood, but because that's the way my brain operated in the past, letting my fear rise to the top, giving it the loudest microphone in my life. I did the same thing a few years ago, the same hilarious denial trick that did not work when I found Susie Davis's book, Unafraid. Susie was a new acquaintance, one I adored, but I didn't feel the title or subject matter of her book resonated all that much with me. I mean, I couldn't think of anything on the surface of my life I was all that scared of. Note to self, when you can't think of one thing you're scared of, it may be wise to check and see if you're not just scared of everything. I got Susie's book around the time it came out, though, and I read it in 48 hours, sitting on my sofa as a weekend unfolded around me. The hard shell I felt I needed in order to proclaim my courage melted off, and I started to realize how much fear was an ever-present banner over my heart and life. Though I don't know where your fear started or how deep they sit in your soul, I do know this. Fear is a heavy burden, one of the heaviest you can carry. It's exhausting and overwhelming, and it's not from God. Fast forward to present day, 
And I want to be the first to hold my hands up in admission that I'm in the boat with you, needing the words that are about to come just as much as you do. My palms are up and my eyes are on God because I need a fresh session of facing my own fears so that the glory of God can ring louder and truer. And so I can obediently move forward in all that he's called me to do. But I'm not discouraged or beaten down because I know that these steps are worth repeating. I will take myself out of the running countless times for the rest of my life to keep God in the place he should be. I will obsess over those to whom he has called me to minister, asking the Holy Spirit to give me fresh vision and eyes to see who he's placed in my path. There will be moments scattered throughout the rest of my life when I'll have to consider my weaknesses and my strengths in the light of the call he's placed on my life. These steps, these processes are worth repeating. So it's with a lot of expectancy and even joy that I start this chapter off with a confession. Hi, I'm Jess, and I really struggle with fear. I've got a specific set of things that are scaring me in this season, and I'd like to leave them behind as we work through this chapter together. I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me, believing that the perfect love of our Father casts out fear. In the name of Jesus, I ask love to be louder in our hearts after we move on from this set of words. Amen. What is born in captivity will not flourish. I woke up the other night in a panic, retracing my dream, frantically splaying my fingers over my sheets, hair, and body, to trigger my mind into the truth that I was awake and everything I'd just seen in my sleep wasn't real. I'd woken from a terrifying dream, but I also had a tinge of electrifying spiritual energy all around me. There was something God wanted me to know about what I'd just seen. So in the stillness of 4 a.m., as I quietly climbed out of bed and made the rounds to check on my sleeping kids, I played back the dream in my mind. Our family was on vacation in some city I couldn't see or distinguish, and we'd just met up with a family we knew from the past. Together, all of us were going into some sort of mall that had a parking lot. In my dream, I had a sick feeling going into the parking lot. I knew something was wrong. We weren't supposed to go in there. So I told everyone to turn around, and I was grateful they listened. They knew we weren't supposed to go in there either. But as we were leaving, we saw a crime being committed and the criminals spotted us. They said they couldn't let us go, so we'd have to come with them. We were being kidnapped, both families. They took us to some underground living situation where we'd stay from now on to keep us from sharing about the crime we'd seen. They used guns to keep us there in the beginning, but became less stringent over time. They'd leave the doors open and the guns were nowhere to be found. We just stayed because we were scared of what would happen if we tried to leave. Eventually, in my dream, the other family just left. One day, the mom decided she'd had enough. So she took her kids and walked right out and the kidnappers didn't seem to notice. You'd think this would embolden me to leave, but it only assured me all the more that if we left, they'd come after us. We befriended the assailants because it made it a more amicable place to live and we tried to find the silver lining. Down here in captivity, we had so much family time. We weren't busy. Sure, we were living in a bunker and never saw sunshine, but we were together. At the tail end of my dream, I could perceive that a lot of time had passed. Our kids had grown older and Nick and I were having another baby. 
I'd birthed the baby and was holding it, surrounded by Nick and the kids, which was so idyllic, except for the fact that we were kidnapped, living in a dungeon and scared to leave. Just after I saw the baby, I woke up, and as I replayed the dream in my mind, I heard the almost audible voice of God say, what is born into captivity cannot flourish. Things born into captivity cannot flourish. How can a baby born into a kidnapped family ever see the light of day or feel the wind on its face? Likewise, how can any dreams or desires God has given us come alive if they're surrounded by fear and squashed by doubt? Things born into captivity cannot flourish, so you and I must strip off the worries and anxieties that have caged us in one by one as we realize that in light of God's power, they were never that dangerous to begin with. Fear is a leaven that can poison the whole batch. Our entire faith, our community, and the rest of our years on earth. It's a posture that will weave itself into every area of our lives until we can't remember what it was like to make a decision motivated by faith or hope. Fear will convince us we're playing defense when we were always meant to be on the offense, not offended for the kingdom. Fear will cage us and contain us until we're stuck in the confines and constraints that the enemy of our souls has built for us, not running wild and free the way we were created to be. Things born into captivity cannot flourish. And if God is going to grow our desire to run on mission and live abundantly, we've got to allow him a spacious place in our lives to accomplish it. Just like in my dream, we become so comfortable around our captors, our fears, that we begin to see them as friends and even comrades. We spend our days with them. We share our lives with them. We straight up fall prey to Stockholm Syndrome. Our fears stop seeming like threats and eventually we perceive them as helpful boundaries that simplify our lives. In the worst case scenario, we put spiritual labels on them, maybe even allowing ourselves to believe they were sent by God to help us stay safe. The problem is that we were never meant to stay safe in his kingdom. We were called to go and tell the good news at all costs. When it comes to sin or lies we believe that hinder us from walking fully with God, I find they're often paired together as double whammies to keep us from obedience. In my life, fear has walked hand in hand with people pleasing as a tool of torment to keep me in a place I was never meant to be held. What I mean by this is that for so many of us, one reason fear is so incredibly enticing is because it's culturally accepted and even approved of. Women and men who act courageously in obedience, doing what God has called them to, often create just enough of a stir for them to be publicly praised and privately shunned. We love brave people who listen to the Holy Spirit from afar, but it's not always easy to stand close to them. What if their bold obedience rubs off on us? What if it calls us out of our comfort zones? What if it changes our plans or messes with our preconceived notions of what should be? Brave and courageous followers of God make great leaders, but they're risky to have as friends. I think this has to do with muchness, but let me back up and explain a little. Come out, Big Alice. A few years back, 
my older sister became obsessed with the new rendition of Alice in Wonderland, to the point of naming her new 12-passenger van Big Alice. I have to admit I giggled at that, but knowing how significant the story had become to her, I decided to give it a watch myself, and one afternoon I hit play with my kiddos when they needed some entertaining. The following lines floored me in a big way. In this scene, Alice has shrunk to an incredibly small size, and she's so locked up in fear and doubt that she can't possibly see herself as capable of accomplishing what has been predicted that she will do. What's more, she can't see the peril everyone else will be in if she refuses to act. This is when the Mad Hatter takes small Alice aside and says, You don't slay. You're not the same as you were before. You were much more muchier. You've lost your muchness. I sat with my mouth open and heard the Holy Spirit loud and clear saying the same thing to me about my current season. You've gotten small to appease other people. You've let fear and the approval of humans keep you tidy. You don't slay. You barely even show up to the battle. You've lost your muchness. Since that time, if my sister and I catch each other living in fear or playing it small, we'll bellow to one another, come out, Big Alice. In this way, we remind each other that we're not here to appease other people and we're not here for their approval. We were placed on this earth by the king of the universe to bring him glory, to spread his fame, to love his people, to soak up his affection, and to tell our stories. That may be too much for some people, and that will have to be okay. You know what I realized? There was only one difference between small Alice and big Alice. Courage. Isn't it the same for us? By now, you know where we get our courage from. We claim our courage when we believe we are who God says we are. The phrase, be strong and courageous, is used roughly 10 times in the Old Testament, starting in Deuteronomy 31, when Moses is giving some parting words to the Israelites, informing them that Joshua will be his predecessor, but not to worry because God will go with them. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. In chapter 31 alone, the phrase is used three times. Twice when Moses says it to Joshua and once when God himself says it to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. In my deep dive into the life of Moses and thus into the passing of his ministry to Joshua, I obviously paid serious attention to this phrase that is repeated so deliberately over a few sequential chapters of the Bible. Seven of the 10 times the phrase is used are at the end of Moses' ministry and the beginning of Joshua's, three times in chapter one of the book of Joshua alone. The Hebrew words always mean the same thing. Here's a quick word study. Strong in Hebrew essentially just means strong, no hidden meaning. Courageous in Hebrew means just that, courageous, of good courage. Nothing groundbreaking in this phrase. It's just a command from God to be strong and to be courageous. Except when God gets emphatic in Joshua chapter 1 and changes the language ever so slightly. Be strong and very courageous. Joshua 1.7 Why would I freak out over the word very? 
Why am I leading you down this whole rabbit trail? And what in the world does this have to do with Alice in Wonderland? Very in Hebrew is miad, which translates to muchness, force, abundance. Be strong and muchness courageous. God is telling Joshua here. Be strong and muchness courageous, women of God. Be strong and muchness courageous, generation of believers. Can you imagine for a moment what would have happened if Joshua had refused to step into this calling out of fear that he wasn't adequate? Can you imagine if he'd passed on this directive because he just didn't want to ruffle any feathers or because he was worried about stepping into his particularly purposed muchness? You don't have to imagine what would have happened. The story of Moses, his predecessor, tells us the potential repercussions for such lack of faith. It was doubting God's sovereignty and capacity that led Moses to lose his ability to enter the promised land. And it was this exact struggle that put Joshua in position to lead the Israelites into Canaan in Moses' place. Listening to fear And allowing ourselves to be caged by it has incredible consequences. We see in the story of Moses and Joshua that God's plan is accomplished. He frees his people. But we risk losing opportunity and blessing when we let fear speak louder than our faith. When we actually begin to fight fear and face it head on, we will find ourselves slaying it. And not just for our own sakes. We'll be slaying fear left and right, and the victory will always be on the kingdom side. The word of God tells us that perfect love casts out fear, that where there's love, there is no room for fear, and that the enemy of our father and our souls has been defeated. 1 John 4.18 When we gather the weapons we need to demolish the strongholds of fear that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, we will experience freedom and liberty in ways we could never even ask for or imagine, but we might seem like a little muchness. We may just have to make a fuss. It may be that we don't seem small anymore. And as we no longer fit in the cages of the enemy, we also will regrettably outgrow the confines within which our culture would prefer to keep us. Sister friend, you were made in the image of God. Not given a spirit of fear or timidity at birth, but born into a spiritual heritage of strength and courage that will at times look like muchness to the world. It may seem a little extra. It may ruffle feathers. It may rock the boat. It will absolutely call those around you to evaluate whether or not they've been obediently listening to the Father with all that they have. But what is the alternative? We weren't meant to birth kingdom-proclaiming ministries in the midst of captivity. We weren't created to cohabitate with our jailers, to be comforted by the confines of our own doubts and fears. We weren't made to be small. He placed us here to slay for his glory and our good, and even for the sake of abundant adventure. That muchness you thought was your liability Turns out it's your secret weapon. Come out, Big Alice. You weren't made for fear. I hope you.
you guys enjoyed that chapter. You Are the Girl for the Job is available everywhere books are sold. You can grab it on Amazon, at Barnes and Noble, at Target.com. And remember that when you order two copies of the book for the next few days, you get a ton of free gifts, including our fall coaching series. So run, run, run wherever books are sold and get your copies and then go to youarethegirlforthejob.com to get all your free gifts. Love you, friends. See you next week. Oh, 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 oh,